Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Nina Pantic. This episode features my co-host, Irina Falcone, as well as our special guest, Lisa Raymond. She basically needs no introduction, but Lisa was ranked number one in the world in doubles and number 15 in singles. She won 11 Grand Slam titles in doubles and 79 total doubles titles, as well as four singles titles. She did all of this after two incredible years at the University of Florida under her coach, Andy Brandy, who she still works with today as they're both helping Allie kick. In our chat, Lisa tells us what she's up to these days and how she made all these different career transitions, as well as how she's trying to help Allie kick in her own career. But Lisa's not done yet. Even though she retired in 2015, she has plans to return to the tour. So without further ado, here is our chat with Lisa Raymond. All right, Lisa Raymond, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. It is awesome to have you. Thank you guys for having me so much. Where in the world are you? Let's let's start with that. <laughs> I'm in a hotel room. I know that's shocking to, for people. But um, actually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana right now. Uh, been working for the past year with uh, Allie Kick. And um, my old coach, um, Andy Brandy, is the head men's tennis coach here at LSU. And kind of long story, but um, we're actually bringing him on um, to be a part of the team. So we're here um, doing some training with him. And he, uh, he's going to be a part of our team uh, moving forward. And um, it's been awesome. I've been here almost two weeks now. And uh, it's going to be one of our training bases now for Allie, which is going to be great. So, um, so, yeah, that's why we're in Baton Rouge. <laughs> Andy Brandy, the Andy Brandy, as in the from... Andy Brandy. Yes, <laughs> that yes. name is very familiar to me. That name is. Very <laughs> There's only to one me. Andy Brandy. There only will only ever be one Andy Brandy. So you you love them or hate them, and I've always loved them. It's true. I mean, you either have these, you know, Andy. It's you know, either you have this unreal relationship with Andy, or you don't. You know, and and he'd be the first to admit that he Andy would be the Irina. You know, I mean, he'd be the first to be like, you know what, it just isn't working, or it works, and. Andy and I hit it off from the time I was 17 when I went to school, when I went to Florida. And, um, you know, if, if there's one person in my career that I have, I owe pretty much everything to because of that foundation he built, it's Andy. So, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's amazing. You don't really hear very often. Well, I guess sometimes you can hear about a player that can just have a very, that's, I mean, that's a lifelong relationship. Lifelong. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he, um, again, I mean, he, I, I coached, he coached me you know, throughout my pro career on and off. And, um, and then, like I said, I mean, he's family. I mean, him and his wife and his son, I mean, we were just over there the other night for dinner and, and uh, you know, hadn't seen them forever and haven't seen his wife. And it was just like yesterday. I mean, they're just near and dear and um, just really, really special people. Were you always going to jump into coaching? I think you finished up in 2015 at the U.S. Open with Madison Keys as your last partner, and then she would have been your first pupil in a way. Is that Was that always the plan when you were playing? No, it wasn't at all. 
Um, you know, it just, it was something that kind of just happened. Um, you know, I'm very good friends with Lindsay Davenport. And so Lindsay was coaching Madison at the time. Um, and Lindsay, you know, I was still playing in 2015 and, and Lindsay was just like, look, I, I, I just, I can't really do this full time. You know, would you be interested in kind of coming on and, um, you know, traveling with her some weeks if it didn't interfere with your doubles and maybe you guys could play some doubles. It'd be great for her. And, and so I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, it just, I, I hadn't really ever really thought about it. And then I, I did, I did think about it and, and I loved it. I love, um, I love coaching and, and I love just kind of um, being a part of a team, you know, part of why I've, I probably did so well in doubles because I love being out there with somebody. But um, so for me, it was like a great segue from retiring because I literally went from the U S open finishing my last match to you know five days later I was in Quebec City with Madison so it was like I never really like had to like put my rackets down and sit and be like oh my god I'm retired here so um so yeah so that's kind of how it just kind of led to that and and um and then I took a break from coaching and then Allie approached me with this opportunity and and jumped at it I mean Lisa technically you're not retired you played last year. This is true. This is true. This is true. So technically 2015 was not your last match. That's a good point. And I plan on, look, I, I've got a few goals out there that I still want to possibly achieve. So I, um, so yeah, so I just got to get in a little bit better shape and get my butt out there and hitting a little bit more. And, um, but yeah, no, I'm not totally retired, I guess you could say. <laughs> the one thing I do want to like, uh, bring to light, you said that you want to get in better shape. Mm -hmm. You went through a phenomenal transformation last year and you still look incredible. So oh, thank you. tell us, tell, tell us about that. Cause I remember kind of last year in Colorado was kind of the first time that me and you kind of really got to know each other and it was just i mean from the last time i had seen you i was like it's a different person yeah um well thank you thank you for saying that and um you know it was just i i have to i truly i hate to say it but i, I owe so much of it to ali you know when, when i got the the opportunity to work with her i just kind of really took a look in the mirror and realized that you know i was just not happy with me and how i was feeling and and what i was doing and um and, you know, as a coach, I just felt like, too, it's like I need, I wanted her to be able to look at me and be like, okay, well, look what she's doing or look how she, good she looks, you know, as far as her fitness and she's working her butt off and, you know, and, and um, I basically said to her, you know, I was like, look, you help me with my fitness because she's a, I mean, you know, I mean, she's a, she's an unreal shape and unreal athlete and she loves her fitness. So I was like, help me with my fitness and my eating and I'm going to, I'll take care of your tennis. And she was unreal. I mean, that the program she put me on, I mean, you know, she was tough on me too. And I needed, I needed to be pushed and I needed to, you know, somebody to kind of guide me a little bit with my eating and, and, um, and whatnot. And yeah, I mean, she just, she, she, I mean, she, her support was everything. And, um, and then, you know, it was like, I, you know, like how you just, you see like little changes and you want more, you want more, you want more and you start feeling good. And I had goals and, um, and yeah, I mean, it was just one of the best things I've ever done. And I just to feel that, feel healthier and just feel good about myself, you know? And so, so yeah, I mean, I owe a ton of it to Allie's boot camp, as we like to call it. <laughs> Nina, I don't think, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a before and after picture and Lisa was holding a 40 pound dumbbell. And I was just like, that is, I mean, it's just incredible. You love to hear those stories. So 
You guys have mentioned Colorado a few times here. So you guys went to Colorado <laughs> last year, I think December, to go snowboarding. Lisa, you had never snowboarded. Yes. I know you were a beginner, and Ali here is incredible. What was this trip? I mean, also, is snowboarding really safe for tennis players? I can't stop thinking about that. Look, if you know, if you know what you're doing, it's very safe for tennis players. I mean, Ali, again, as Arena knows, I mean, Ali is been snowboarding her whole life since she was a little like you know four or five years old so she's unreal I mean she's I if she wasn't I would never be okay with her being like oh I'm going snowboarding for you know two weeks in the off season it's like no I don't think so but like she is so good and she's careful and but yeah we had an awesome trip in in December and it was only I think that was um what was that was my first time really snowboarding and I you know those first few days were rough I, yeah, it, it was difficult, you know, walking and, and whatnot, but, um, and Irina's great. I mean, she, let me tell you, she was an awesome teacher as well. Both her and Allie, like Irina gave me a couple of tips that I still like the second time I went, like I literally was thinking, okay, all right, what did she say? I got to do this. And so, um, but it was a blast. I mean, we were out in Aspen and it was, uh, it was a slice of heaven out there. So it was a fun trip. And Nina, mind you, we still like went in the gym. And yes. you know, we ate super healthy. We were eating at home. So it wasn't like, it, it wasn't one of those trips where it was just strictly snowboarding. We, no. we hit a few times. We hit tennis balls. Well. We hit, yeah. Yes, we did. This sounds fun, guys. I, at least I want to ask you, how is it being a beginner at something or struggling with something when you're someone who's won 11 Grand Slams and been number one? Like, how do you adapt? Yeah, well, hence why I really don't do anything until I actually master. Like, even the snowboarding, I, it was just, it's so frustrating. I... I hate doing things. I won't do things I'm not good at. And I know that sounds like kind of a, a jerky thing to say, but it's like, I want like playing golf. I refuse to play golf. I will not go out until I have lessons until like somebody teaches me properly, then I will go play golf. And then, so the snowboarding was definitely, um, you know, I had to kind of check my, my ego at the door a little bit. Um, you know, and I was having, but I did have a couple lessons, like real lessons as well as having, you know, Allie help me and Irina helped me. And um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not very good at, at being a beginner at things at all. At all. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It, you, you mentioned the whole golf thing. Um, oh. I, I remember the first time I played, I was like, how come I'm not a professional already? This is my only time right. playing. What the heck exactly. is happening? <laughs> exactly. And that's how I was with snowboarding. I'm like, wait, how am I not getting this? Wait, come on, somebody, please help me. I've got to get this like yesterday. And as professional athletes, that's how we are. We want things done yesterday. When you were younger, you mean you were a great junior and you went to college UF, you mm -hmm. crushed it at UF, two NSA singles titles, team title. I mean, I can't imagine a better career. At what point did you realize you're like, I'm a phenomenal tennis player and I should go pro? Was it before college, during college? You know, I, like any, probably any junior, you know, like that was doing well. I mean, I always had aspirations. I mean, I always wanted to turn pro and I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, watching Wimbledon finals and dreaming about holding that trophy. Um, so, you know, I, I guess in the juniors, I mean, I knew I was good. I mean, for lack of a better word, you know, I was doing well in juniors. I was, you know, one in my divisions and nationals on U.S. national team and this and that. But um, I knew I wanted to go to school. I knew at I was young freshman. I was a 17 year old freshman. So I knew that there was no way I was ready for the pro tour both emotionally or physically. I just, my game wasn't there and, and I just, I just wasn't ready. So I was fortunate that my parents and my coach at the time before I went to UF were like, look, you know, if you want to go to school, 
you know, the pro pro tour will still be there, you know, if you don't feel like you're ready. And, um, and so, you know, when I went to school after my freshman year, I knew I wanted to turn pro, but I just, again, I wasn't ready. I wanted one more year of just like getting better and, you know, it's like, and learning, like, you know, people talk about, you got to learn to lose, but like, I think learning how to win and learning like that pressure of winning all the time is really important as well. And I, I really learned that in, in, in college. It was like every time I went on the court, I had a, a target on my back and I had to deal with that. And, um, and so it was like, I just, that growth both on and off the court um, really helped me at UF. And then I knew after my sophomore year, I was like, all right, I'm, I think I can do this. So, and I'll be honest, like, it was one of those things where I was almost a little too cocky. Like I went from like not cocky at all to like being like, Oh, I'm going to like go out and I'm going to beat everybody. I'm going to be top 10 next week. And I learned that lesson quickly. <laughs> that wasn't the case. <laughs> That's really cool. You know, you mentioned something about getting used to losing and getting used to winning. Um, I think that it's very quick. Uh, the transition from college to pros, it's a very quick realization how different it is from maybe winning a couple matches every single weekend, week in, week out, to maybe losing week in, week out. What was it that helped you just overcome that getting used to losing? Yeah, you know, I think for me, I was really lucky that I had the right people around me. Um, I had a great support system around me, whether it was my family, coach, um, you know, and it was just, I mean, as you know, I mean, you get used to winning in college and then you get out there and it's, you know, if you're not doing well, I mean, the pro tour is lonely and it's tough. And it's so it's like, you know, you've got to learn to, you know, pick yourself up, you know, because at the end of the day, there's only one winner every week. That's it. Only one person gets to walk away with with that trophy and how, you know, if you surround yourself with the right people and I had the right people around me that were going that always said to me, look, the, the one of the blessings of tennis is there is always next week that you can redeem yourself. So if you have a tough week and you lose, okay, you know what? There's next week. The sun's going to come up tomorrow morning and you get another chance to get out there and, and play and prove yourself. So, um, you know, I, I was fortunate, well, fortunate, not fortunate, but when I came out of college, I had a really good run. Um, so I went from winning the NCAAs and I went right to Eastbourne and Wimbledon and did really well. I lost in the round of 16 in my first Wimbledon. So I was like, oh, okay, like this isn't so bad. Like I can do this. And then, you know, it's almost like that sophomore slump comes in once everyone starts figuring out how to play you. You're not this new kid on the block anymore. Being on the tour for like six, eight, 12 months, and then everyone knowing who you are and just kind of like, all right, well, my slice isn't a secret anymore kind of thing. <laughs> everyone knows it's coming. Yeah, exactly, right? Hit to the forehand. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hi, everyone. You're listening to an episode of the Tennis.com podcast with special guest, former doubles number one, Lisa Raymond. She's telling us all about her college, professional and coaching career. Keep listening. 
But you also launched to top 20 in singles before you reached number one in doubles. When did you decide to focus more on doubles? Was it like way later in your career? And what went into that shift? Because that's not easy. We've talked a lot of doubles specialists lately. And I think of you as both. Thank but you. I wonder if what, what you think of yourself as. Well, it's, it's funny because I... I had played a lot of doubles throughout my singles career and done well. I mean, Lindsay and I won a ton of tournaments together. I won grand slams with, with Renee Stubbs. And, um, but I mean, singles was always my number one priority, you know, when I was a kid and just throughout my career until I was about, um, it was early thirties. I was about 32 years old and my ranking started to drop and I was started to do, I was starting to do really well in doubles consistently with Sam Stozer. And like we were winning tournaments. We had won a slam and my singles ranking was getting to that point where I was starting to be in a lot of qualities. I wasn't making main draws. So I was about maybe like, I don't know, like in like maybe the 80s, 70s, somewhere in there. And so I knew that in order for me to get back to where I wanted to be in singles, it was going to take a lot. Like I was really, really going to have to number one, probably give up the doubles. Um, and also really, really recommit myself. And I'll never forget Funny story, I was playing in Memphis, and this was a tournament that I'd won twice. And actually, I should have won three times. I had, a, I had a match point in the finals the third year in a row and didn't cover the backhand down the line, but that's okay. Well, well I'm not going to – I don't remember that too well or anything. But anyway, but, like, it's one of those tournaments, and, I mean, you guys probably know, like, there's a place where you just feel great. And I knew it always brought out my best tennis. And I was playing Bethany Maddock. And I was, had to play her first round. And I was, she was this young kid at the time. She was just, I think she got a wild card, whatever. I was playing her at night. And I played her and I lost. I think I was number one or two seed and I lost. And I'll never forget coming off the court saying, I'm, that's it. Like, if I can't find it here, that great, like, pull it out of me here in Memphis, then I don't think I have it anymore. And I truly, that was it. That was my last singles match. And then I went on to, and, you know, almost have like a second career in doubles with Sam and then with Liesl and this one and that one. But like, that was it for me. And I just made that commitment. So that makes sense for your like double singles career. But then how did you end up playing so long and still have this desire in your now your mid 40s? You're someone who's been on tour full time over 20 years. You have all these records for being the oldest woman to do, you know, win a slam on the whole number one spot. I think it's incredible. The longevity of the game has really, really changed. Like what's the key to like being on tour so long and still wanting to be on tour? Well, I mean, obviously just being on tour for doubles was very different you know, playing at that age than, than playing, you know, singles or doubles or just singles. But, you know, midway through that, um, it, probably around when I was about 38 or so, I, again, had kind of a come to Jesus um, with myself and, and, and one of my ex-doubles partners, Renee Stubbs, um, you guys, I'm sure you know, well, um, she pointed it out to me too. We were playing together and I was, I had just gone through this whole thing in, I, I don't know, I was just in horrible shape. I had just kind of like, I had some stuff going on personal life and it just kind of like, I just kind of let myself go a little bit. And she literally just said, what are you doing with yourself? You know, you're a shell of who you used to be. And, and I took a long look in the mirror after that conversation and, um, and did, I completely rededicated myself at 38 and, um, and so got in great shape and worked my butt off and got back to number one in the world and won slams again. And so for me, it was about like, just kind of almost like, I almost had like all these little like sub careers within my career, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, and, and so, so yeah, so, you know, I, I attribute a lot to like that, like getting in that better shape at the end of my career, but 
I think too, a lot of the reason why I wanted to keep playing for so long was not only just having the goals that I had, but it was um, the fact that like at a young age, like I never got burned out. Like I was, I, I, you know, I really didn't, like, I never went to tennis academies. I never, like, my parents didn't push me and um, the way, you know, I guess, you know, the hours that are spent on the court now. And um, now look, having said that, you know, have things changed? Yes. Can you maybe take the route that I took and become a professional tennis player and, and be as successful? I don't know. And I hate to even say that because as much as I love the path that I took, I don't know if now you can only play two hours a day, you know, as a kid and not, you know, be playing tournaments every weekend and not, you know, be thrown into it the way they are now. I mean, technology has changed. I mean, it's so much more of a physical sport. I mean, things are so different. So, um, but again, I, I attribute a lot of my longevity to, you know, that how I was kind of, um, groomed and raised really with my career and, um, and my schedule and all that kind of good stuff. But when you said you have multiple careers, did you ever want to quit completely? Was there times where you wanted to give it up? Because it sounds, it sounds like you have this like really fast track into being a good pro and then having the right team and then having stability and different partners. Or was there times where you were like, I'm over this? No, I can honestly say, I, I honestly can say that I never really had that, that, and, and again, I, I was blessed with a fantastic career. And, and again, I just, I never really wanted to walk away until I did. Um, now, having said that, I had people later on in my life saying, why are you still playing? What are you doing? And this was like, you know, more towards the end. And, and, and that was difficult. It was people that like, I was very, very close to. And, you know, and they just, I just would say to them, look, until you walk in these shoes, I mean, it's, it, you can't tell a professional athlete to stop. Like they have to do it. They have to do it on their own terms. And so, um, so until I really stopped, until I put my rackets down on a tour, I never really said like, I want out. I hate this. You know, and again, not saying that obviously throughout my career, there were times where there was ebbs and flows like anything else. And there was ups and downs and times when I was struggling and I couldn't win a first. I mean, I went through a period of losing, I think something like 11 first rounds and you know, so there's, there's lows, of course, but I never, I never wanted to quit. Never. Honestly, hearing you talk about how people had the audacity to tell you to quit and why are you still playing? Like that is just mind boggling. I didn't know people oh, yeah. really, excuse my language, had the balls to do that. <laughs> like you just, you just don't do that. Right? I mean, that is mind blowing. Yeah, it happened. Like it was just, and people again, I mean, people very, very close to me, like people I was in relationships with or, or, you know, dear, dear fam, like, friends and they would just kind of like just say to me like like don't you have any pride or like you know when I would lose match and I just would say to them look you don't get it and don't and I and it's like they would think that is a little bit condescending but it's like you don't understand like with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, everybody. You're listening to an episode of the Tennis.com podcast with Lisa Raymond, and she tells us what it was like to find out she's been nominated for the Tennis Hall of Fame Class of 2021. Keep listening. 
as an athlete, you can't tell us when to stop. You can't, you can't. Cause it, and it's like, cause then we'll always have these regrets and whatnot, but I'm, I'm happy that it, it worked out the way it did. And I'm happy that I, I didn't, you know, listen to those voices. You, you mentioned earlier about how the game has changed so much since when you used to play. And uh, obviously, I mean, you had a very, very long career. It, it speaks just volumes of your longevity and your love for the game. What have you been able to kind of instill in Allie um, from what, from your career? And, and I know that you've only been coaching for a little bit of time, but surely you have some good gems and some great bits of advice for her to, you know, continue succeeding. Well, you know, I think it's one of the things I see in Allie is, um, you know, I see a lot of myself in the sense of how, you know, I would be pretty tough on myself. I was a perfectionist um, when I played and, and, you know, there were times when, you know, my attitude wasn't the greatest or I would, you know, just, you know, uh, complain, not that she complains, but like when I say complain, like just kind of, you know, moan and groan out there and woe is me. And, um, and so what I try and do with her, like when I see her kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit is catch her and just say, you know, like try and give her a little bit more perspective, um, not just on the court, but just kind of like with her career too. It's like, um, you know, I wish I had, you know, someone around me or, or whatever that would, have kind of pulled me out sometimes when I was going down that rabbit hole. Um, so, you know, I just try and, and tell her, you know, look, um, you know, that you're going to have to take your lumps here, you know, and there's going to be, you know, this is, this is tough, you know, this is not an easy road, but, you know, I give you and everyone who's taken the road a lot of credit for doing it because it is a risk, you know, I mean, there are no guarantees in tech. I mean, with our career, we're, you know, unless you sign big endorsement contracts or whatever, you have no idea, you know, you're going to make that paycheck every week in, week out. So um, with her, it's just, you know, giving her kind of that stability and giving her that perspective that it's, it's going to be okay. And there's going to, you know, be, you know, you're going to take your lumps, but, and it is worth the risk. Um, and it's so worth it, you know, and it's like, Again, you know, you don't want to look back and have those regrets. Um, and I think, you know, and again, for, I give her so much credit for doing exactly what she's doing right now and, and making this decision to bring Andy aboard, you know, and to come to Baton Rouge, you know, and to use this as one of her training, um, you know, training bases. I mean, and that speaks volumes about like what she wants to do with her career and, and the changes she wants to make and, and the dreams and the places she wants to go with her career. So, um, so yeah. It sounds like she's prepping for a big 2021 and I mean, aren't we all, but yes. for you, you it's big, big news in your life is you're on the ballot for the international tennis hall of fame for the class of 2021. Yes, thank you. When guys. did you find out that you're on the ballot with Leighton Hewitt, Juan Carlos Ferrero, Sergio Bruguera and Jonas Bjorkman. So when did you find out? How do you find out? And what's the process like as someone who's a nominee? Cause I really have no idea. Yeah, it was, uh, I got a call from, from Stan Smith with the, with the hall of fame. And, and he basically told me, um, you know, look, uh, you're, you're going to be on the ballot for 2021. And I just was like, so taken back. I mean, I was like, what come again? Like, what did you just say? <laughs> like what? And, and I've known Stan forever. I mean, we were on different boards together with the OCA and this and that. And I mean, obviously just through the years, but it was just like, I, again, I still, even just thinking about it, it's just so humbling, you know, not only is, I mean, obviously the only female, but just, I mean, to be among just like, even in the same sentence or on the ballot and among these, the greatest that ever played our game, 
it's just unreal. And so first part was the fan voting, which was pretty cool. So all of October, fans could vote for their, their top um, their top nominee or, or whatnot. And so, I mean, I had everybody. I was just like family. I mean, Allie got all her people and troops, you know. Arena, thank you for your support. I mean, just everybody, Travis, just, it was just like, it was awesome, you know, seeing the people that came together for me to support me um, and, you know, vote for me was just so, so, again, humbling. It's the best word I can use for all of this. But um, so now, what happens to find out like if I actually do get in. So now it's, it's left to media, I think past hall of famers vote. And, um, and yeah, and I think we find out like January. So um, it's uh, again, it would be just the most un incredible, incredible honor. It really would. I mean, not that it is, I mean, it already is. That's, I mean, that's just so cool. Like when I saw <laughs> Allie like had posted that, I was like, wait, that's so cool. We were snowboarding together a couple of years, a couple of months ago, but um, that's really exciting. And um, yeah, I mean, you're potentially going to find out, assuming that, you know, 2021 is hopefully there with the tennis season and all that, you know, Australian Open is kind of feeling like it's going to happen. And um so are you guys like planning on going over there and doing the two week quarantine and all that? Yeah. No. So we actually um, made the decision that Alec, we're not going to go to Australia. So we're just like waiting kind of with bated breath for the ITF slash WTA schedules to come out um, to see like exactly where she is going to start. But um, I just not going to make that trip um, and just go over there with the quarantine and just everything that's, you know, going on. I mean, God, knock on wood, like, let's hope and pray that, you know, the 2021, everything kind of gets, starts to get back to some sort of um, normal, um, I mean, we all get back to some sort of normal world, but, um, but yeah, so that's what we're doing right now. Now she's just doing her whole preseason and, and we're just waiting to see the schedule and, and maybe start in, in, you know, some smaller events in Europe or something like that. I, I think you're not alone in skipping out in Australia next year, to be honest. I, I talked to a few play, players and they're just like, it's crazy. I really wanna... Yeah. Yeah. I know that we don't really know what's going to happen next in 2021, but it is exciting to hear that you might be playing more tennis. You might be inducted in the hall of fame. You're going to be working with Ali kick and Andy Brandy. So we're excited to see what happens regardless of all the confusion in the world. And we really, really thank you for your time and joining us in this episode. Absolutely. This was a blast. Anytime you guys want me to come on and tell my stories or, or whatever. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, Lisa. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, Editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva. Producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley. And executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.